We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Spinning is Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. And now McDermott again right to the rim with authority. For the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human! Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And we're joined today by Mark Schindler and Red Bauer. Talk about the Pacers. Uh, you know, two game, actually three game losing streak now. So, guys, Red, I'll start with you. How you doing, man? Not too bad, Alex. Uh, got to watch both games today, as I got told on Twitter Friday night after asking what happened to watch the game. So I did that um, <laughs> and uh, watched two losses today. So that was that was not super great. Mark, how we doing, man? I'm doing pretty pretty well. I threw out my back this morning, actually. Oh, uh, no. But other than that, things have been pretty good. So I've just been kind of uh, trying to get that straightened out, uh, literally and figuratively. But uh, no, today's <laughs> a good day, man. Yeah, no, it is a good day. I, I, I won't lie. I do like the early 1 o'clock Pacer games. I know some fans hate them, but I just like having an afternoon game so I have my night free. But, um, you know, Pacers, they, they played better tonight than they had against Milwaukee um, and, and honestly against uh, New Orleans who's had the bench fourth quarter. So maybe we're seeing some steps of improvement. I'm not going to overreact here, but I guess the first question I need to ask you guys is what is the biggest problem with the Pacers right now? And I'll start with you, Rhett. Just – seems like rebounding, which we kind of knew going into the season and we've talked about consistently, but got rebounded, got out rebounded both games uh, by nine against the Pelicans and then by 16 by the jazz. Uh, so that's a, that's a rough way to win, but just offensively just doesn't seem like there's a ton of uh, hitting shots as well, which is also makes it tough to win. Yeah. Mark. 
Yeah, um, I, I would say rebounding is definitely a problem, but that's been nothing new in my opinion. I mean, right. well, not just in my opinion, that's just true. It hasn't been anything new. Um, I think the biggest problem has just been the defense. And luckily, I mean, that's what changed today. The defense, that was the best I think it's looked all season. Um, so that was nice to see. And against one of just about the best offensive team in the league. Um, I mean, you saw routinely – and it, I was pretty apprehensive for how the Pacers were going to play coming into this game just because of the kind of offense the Jazz play. They're not going to kill you in isolation. They're going to whip the ball around five or six times and force really hard closeouts every single time. And that's what the Pacers have been getting killed by lately. And they were able to actually rotate extremely well other than a couple of uh, a couple of possessions where they got caught. But for the most part, I was pretty impressed with that. Um, it looked like a real turnaround compared to the last week and a half that we've seen. Um, but the other problem that we talked about a little bit, a little bit before we got on here is the offense has been extremely stagnant. Yeah, uh, we saw 39 shots come from Brogdon and Sabonis, uh, and it felt like probably half of those came in isolation. Um, at least 70% of those shots were in isolation for for Domas. So, um, just we're not seeing the ball move the same way that it had been. Yeah, and that was my biggest observation from this game was just the amount of ball movement that we're not seeing. Like. I would just think back like just a week ago and, and we see that beautiful play in Charlotte where they, you know, pass the ball around the horn, get a Justin Holiday three. And it's like, man, this is great Pacers basketball. And we just haven't been seeing that. And now I'm not sure if it's the opponent because we've been playing a little bit uh, better competition. You play Philadelphia, Milwaukee, um, of course, uh, Utah, the best team in the league right now, record wise. So it's just, you know, these are all really good teams. And so when you play tougher competition, you know, things are going to be changed a little bit, but that's, you brought up a great point about the offense being stagnant and, and, and Domas Sabonis. I mean, he had two great games statistic wise Tuesday and Wednesday against Memphis and Milwaukee, but then the last two games, he's really struggled from the field. Mark, what do you think his biggest problem is right now um, on, on the offensive event? Um, you know, I'm not sure that it's even necessarily just his problem. I, I think it's mostly a team problem. I mean, I think he's, he's been pretty good. I mean, it's just, like you mentioned, he's seeing, you know, pretty stiff defensive competition. Um, I, I don't know if it was uh, – I, I don't think you can pin tonight on one person, but to, to have him post up Rudy Gobert multiple times and, and take him to the block multiple times, and it wasn't just a broken possession. You could tell, I mean, they, they cleared out at the entire side of the floor to, to have him go right at Gobert. Um, Rudy Gobert was the best big on the floor tonight, you know, regardless of – or today, I should say – uh, regardless of how well Miles or Domas could have played. I mean, that Rudy's a top 15 player in the league, um, and he showed that tonight, even guarding uh, Malcolm a few times in isolation. Uh, I, I just – I was a little bit confused by that, and it seemed like it's – I mean, the coaching staff and Domas were all uh, kind of on board with uh, playing that. Uh, Nate Bjorken said in his post-game press conference that he was happy with those shots. He thought um, he'd want those again because uh, – Domas just missed a couple of easy ones. And I guess, you know, you could point back and say that there were two or three bunnies. But for the most part, I mean, Rudy Gobert just played fantastic defense on Domas. Uh, I mean, you saw so many times like Domas would – we're used to seeing him pull off. You know, he'll do his one half spin and then come back around and it's an easy bucket. But, I mean, he was doing it four or five times because he was just – he would run out of moves on Gobert. Um, and that's that's what's going to happen anytime you play Utah and the way that they're able to play defense. And they, they it, to their credit, too, I mean, they really made it difficult to, uh, to to have open shooters and to have a lot of movement. They were sticking a lot of 
uh, a lot of cutters, but at the same time, you got to find ways to make that work. Like maybe you have somebody set a pin down for somebody off ball. Um, like you, you, it's not like that didn't happen, but I'm saying you could get a lot more of that than just clearing out and having Domas go to work without any movement going off ball. Cause that's what it felt like a lot today. And we've seen that a lot the last couple of games. Brett. Yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway. First off, when Bjorkren says that he would take that he missed some easy shots, there's no easy post up against Rudy Gobert. Like that's why he's a two times defensive player of the year. Like it's it's not an easy shot when you're posting him up. So I'm sure that the Jazz would also take Domas taking all of those shots because that's how good Rudy Gobert is and was tonight. But I think the off ball movement when Domas posts up is my biggest. Uh, frustration lately that I've been noticing is like it's one thing for Domas to be posting up it's another thing for that to be the only thing that's happening on the floor because especially when everybody's seeing it not go super great when he posts up Gobert so like you're doing you're doing Domas a disservice by just standing there and watching like you've got to do something off ball. You got to have some sort of motion, some sort of pick, some sort of cut, like just move a little bit. And I think we've talked about it before in a couple other games this season where as soon as he starts ISOing, like the rest of the action just stops. And that's just something that I just, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I think the other thing, uh, just the defense really kind of looked iffy when we would, it seemed like there'd be a switch with Domas on the perimeter and we'd just be fine with it. I don't know. I don't know how you guys felt about that. Yeah, Mark, I'll let you go ahead and answer that. Uh, can you repeat the question? Sorry. Uh, no, you're good. Domas on the perimeter, like Domas would be switched onto Mitchell and that just seemed to be okay. And that seemed to be like what they were going for almost. Like they didn't show any sort of uh, urgency to try and get a better matchup. Oh, I thought, you know, I mean, it happened a couple times early on. I had more problems with Doug got matched up with, uh, got switched on to Donovan Moore. And I thought that was problematic. But there was, uh, they they forced the switch to not happen a couple times uh, down the stretch. And I thought that was nice because that's been an improvement over the last uh, week and a half. I didn't get um, to watch the end of the game. Thanks, uh, NBA oh, app and league pass. But so maybe maybe that's when that happened. But yeah, no, they improved that over the course of the game. But Doug was getting uh, getting torn up on the defensive end. Yeah, and there was a couple times I felt like when Domas was switched on to a smaller guy, like he actually didn't play terrible defense on him. Like they got up a good shot and hit some over him, but it wasn't like I understand what you're saying, like yeah. trying to trying to, you know, not have that matchup or send help or whatever. But I mean, there was a couple times I thought he kind of held his own, like For didn't sure. get super cross. But that's that's I mean, Domas isn't like the worst closeout defender, even though he's not great. I mean, there's worse than him, but for me, I don't think that he's like the most awful but there are a lot of times where like i believe it was i forget actually but i think there was one where he got beat up the dribble by uh by Bojan, and then turner tried to step up and then he got another foul there so it's mm-hmm. like um you see it a lot like he's just not coachable guarding those guys in the pick and roll like it's just it's not his game he's not good at it you know guarding fives it's it's not something like he's better at guarding fives but when he's putting pick and roll it's still a, it's a, still a tough thing for him to do and that's where he's got to get better is on that side of the ball. And then, you know, you brought up a good point about the off-ball movement, Rhett. And I'm just curious because my observations, I haven't really paid attention to it, but who do you think our best cutters are on this team? And are they being played? Like, if, if you're going to have Domas post up like that, do we have a lot of great cutters on in the starting lineup right now? 
I mean, Miles was doing it some earlier in the year. I haven't seen much mm-hmm. of him doing that anymore. I don't know how good of a cutter Jeremy Lamb is because it feels like since he kind of came in the starting lineup, he doesn't cut as much to me. Um, Justin Holiday is a good cutter. I think McDermott and, and Sumner are probably the other cutters that are, you know, really good at that. But as far as the starting lineup, I mean, is there maybe a tweak that needs to be changed, Red? I'm not sure. I think it just needs to be everybody. Like everybody should be doing something. But out of the starting lineup, it seems like Miles has probably been the best cutter when Sabonis has been posting up. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Doug for the bench has just got a knack for that. But I don't know, Mark. What do you think? Yeah, no, Miles is definitely the best cutter uh, on the team right now, which is kind of maybe crazy most to say. willing. Uh, yeah, well, he's been finding he's the best intuitive cutter. I should say right, it's exactly. not like it's built into the offense. He's just doing it, and it's been effective. Um, we saw, I felt like we saw Malcolm uh, cut a lot more earlier in the year, and that just hasn't been the case yep. lately. Um, I mean, ultimately, I, I really think a lot of it just comes down to it, it not being the same priority um, in the offense. Um, but, no, I, I, I would ultimately agree. I mean, I think there's a lot of room for that. And also, like you said, with Sumner, I mean, he, he hasn't played in, I think, three games now. Is that who's um, that? <laughs> stop it. Um, <laughs> But I mean, he—he's another guy just like uh, just like Miles. He's great at you know, kind of uh, just cutting. He'll back cut people easily, or, or just people fall asleep because he's not really a, necessarily a spacing threat, and he's awesome at using his athleticism. Um, so you kind of miss that a little bit in out in the offense. Um, but it's something I hope the Pacers refine because it looked really good at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and that's one of the things. Like I, I kind of brought it up, not like saying that I think. You know, not having Vic is the, the the reason we've been playing bad, and I don't really agree with that. I don't think that's true, but I, I do think that the Pacers, you know, they started it off hot, and now they've kind of hit this rough stretch, and since trading him, they have a less than 500 record, and, you know, in games he played, I mean, they were a little bit better, and I've been seeing a lot more people on different social medias talking as far as Pacer fans go, saying that, oh, we shouldn't have traded Vic. This is why we're losing games, and so I'm just curious your guys' thoughts on, you know, not necessarily not having Vic, but not having that other guy like that Lavert that they traded for and, and how much that would be a difference maker. So, Mark, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, just to put it bluntly, I mean, of course it makes a huge difference. Uh, Vic hasn't been awesome in Houston. I still think he's been, like, solid. Um, but you just miss the, the gravity of somebody like Vic. Mm-hmm. Um, you lose an entire guy in the rotation um, – just by, you know, by the virtue of, of Karras not being healthy right now. And that's not on him. It's just, that's how it works. Um, and I think you, you see a lot more how that hurt the Pacers defensively because uh, Vic's off ball defense this year was like as good as it has ever been. His on ball defense could still be better, but he's a lot better yet. You know, he has the length and the athleticism and intelligence to keep somebody in front of him better than a lot of the guys down the, down the roster. Um and you miss that a lot. Uh, again, I agree too. You miss that offensively. And I think we see that in how Malcolm's not being used as much off ball uh, because there's nobody who can, who is really the same kind of threat to drive downhill. It's why we've seen TJ McConnell playing so much. Um, and he's been good, but he's not the same kind of uh, like, I mean, th- there was a, something I, I almost, uh, I don't want to say I got frustrated, but I was in Washington TV. I was like, I kind of scoffed is the wrong way to put it. Um, I- I'm trying to think of like another, another word for scoff but not scoff but like more just like I kind of like laughed myself a little bit um TJ had a wide open layup at the rim and he tossed it out to Doug for a three I think it was, it was either Doug or Miles I can't remember uh and not this game but in the game against New Orleans and it's like 
dude, you got to take that layup. But uh, I mean, TJ McConnell's wired to just pass the ball no matter what. Um, and he will take those little like, you know, off his back foot floaters. But for the most part, he's just not a threat to score at the rim is what I'm trying to say. Uh, there's re- Malcolm's really the only guy who you look at on this roster right now uh, as, as it is healthy. Um, that, that is a real driver at the rim and is a threat to finish there. And even then he's not great at finishing at the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you just see not having the ability to collapse the defense the same way uh, makes it a lot harder to get other guys going who, who aren't good at doing that. Mm-hmm. Rhett? I mean, when you send 20 points per game out and you don't get 20 points per game back because the guy isn't playing, that's going to make a big difference. I mean, that's just that that's quick maths, but I think Mark's <laughs> point is, is even more valid. I think the, the defense has been, uh, a problem just because he just wreaked so much havoc on that end, you know, just like between being as active as he was and being able to be a smart defender on ball. Um, I, I think that that's probably where we miss him the most just because at, at times, you know, we have the, the offense It not hasn't looked like it the last, last game or so, I guess, but um yeah, I, I don't think there's any way to to say that we shouldn't have traded Vic because the team, the way the team looks right now, I think that's just silly. Yeah, no, I mean I agree with all that. And truth of the matter is, like Victor was a fan favorite, and and some fans still loved him even despite all the stuff that came out this last year uh, about him and, and and the decisions that he was making and the possibility of the team moving on. Like I think it was all there in the writing, obviously, and then it happens, and some fans are you know, just still holding on to that. And that's completely fine. I mean, I get it. Victor was, you know, that guy that came in here and, you know, took the franchise, you know, by the reins and just kind of led the pack. And and, and so it's hard. It's hard to see a guy like that go, especially if you get attached to him. And, you know, Rhett, you, make, you make a great point. It's very basic. You know, you just re- replace a guy that was really playing decently well for the Pacers. I mean, there was obviously some holes in his game still, but he was, he was better than probably the starting guards we have now. So, you, you do miss that. And I, I think at the end of the day, like this Pacers team, they're going through a bit, bit of a stretch. They're playing tougher teams. That's part of it. I mean, and I, and I, I don't know if they're just worn down because there's so many games in, in the month, because that's part of it. I mean, you're playing almost every other night, the next, these last two months. So I mean, could fatigue be part of the problem? Why they seem kind of bogged down a little bit? Possibly. I'm not sure exactly what the problem is. I feel like there's a lot of things that are just glaring holes right now, but it's, it's just not been pretty. And the only positive really for me out of the last couple of games has been the development of Goga Batadze. So I want to shift things into a little bit of a positive light here, Mark, and talk about just what you've seen from Goga over the last couple of games that have really stuck out to you in a good way. Uh, the, the verticality has been really impressive defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's, I mean, he's not afraid to block shots. I think that's really cool. You know, you see, um, he, he, he wants to take contact. He wants to make good plays. He's not afraid to go out there and try and make good plays, which is, I don't want to say it's different, but it helps. You know, this is, that's the point of when you're trying to develop somebody, you, you got to get them more than just garbage time minutes and they have to have a longer leash than, you know, one mistake and they're out. Um, so you're seeing Goga being able to, to, to take and give fouls um, and just play physically on the defensive end. Um, and I think there are still, still ways you could clean it up for sure, but uh, I mean, I think you see he's he's got decently mobile feet. His footwork could definitely be a lot better on the perimeter. But um, I mean, I think athletically, he's, of course, good. You, you see what he can do as as a as a threat at the rim. Um, 
And I think even, even not just defensively, like offensively, he's had some really nice finishes. Like he had that offhand finish today against Rudy Gobert coming down the lane. That was just like beautiful. Or no, it wasn't against Gobert. It was against favors, but still Derek favors is a really good rim protector in his own right. Um, especially considering how much stronger he is than Goga right now. He's just playing a confident brand of basketball. And I think that's largely because he's actually getting the opportunity to grow and develop some confidence. Um, and I think it's paying dividends, but I really like, we, we mentioned this, I can't remember if we did it on pod yet, but I, I know before pod we did like his minutes are coming a little bit at the expense of miles. Uh, I, I think that there's more of a way that you could balance. Maybe Sabonis has a couple less minutes um, and we could have seen, you know, miles play more lone center tonight or today. Um, and that could have been a positive, but regardless, I mean, he's taking threes. He has, he's only made one or two. Um, over the last week or so, but he's taking them and he looks confident and the, the stroke is good. They're going to fall. Um, I'm just really, really pleased with him uh, and, and his development. You can tell too, like he just, like it, it means a lot when you, uh, when you have been working that hard and you actually get the chance to, to do things on court, improve people. You know, I think I was, I was so psyched for him in uh, the game against new Orleans because, you know, we had, all this crap going on online. Like everyone was like, Oh, Goga's awful. This, that, cause he had one bad game after he finally got run. And then he was just awesome against new Orleans. And he was really good again today against Utah. So uh, um, I think it's at the point now where if he's not playing, you know, 10 minutes a game, maybe a little bit more. I mean, it depends on the matchup obviously, but he's, he's warranted it. I mean, he's, he's been better than just the backup center. Oh yeah. I agree with that completely. I think, one thing that we all kind of talked about is just giving him that that role, that consistent role. And I think you're starting to see some of that confidence just ooze out of him. Like he's starting to feel more confident in what he's supposed to do. And I, I like how – I don't know if you guys noticed this, but in the end of that Pelicans game when he fouled out, it looked like Steven Adams was kind of telling him what he did wrong on that play. Um, they were talking a little bit there before they made that substitution. And I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know. Steven Adams is awesome. I don't know if you've ever heard him interviewed before, but super great dude. So I would not be shocked at all if that's what he was saying. And then, of course, Miles was right there telling him different things he could do when he got called for the foul on Zion, like telling him different things. I just just love seeing, you know, not just Miles, but I I mean, it's cool that Miles is doing that. Of course, he's his teammate. But Steven Adams, when they were talking, I was like, man, that's really cool. And uh, I love Steven Adams as well as a person. I think he's one of the best interviews and just a, a really good dude. So I agree with you there, Mark. But yeah, I just I was in love with all of that stuff that transpired, and I've really been enjoying the way he's playing. So, Rhett, I know I kind of cut you off there. I'm sorry, but um, what have your been uh, overall thoughts been on Goga? No, you're good. I think he probably altered more shots in the first couple minutes of him being in the game today than I've seen him do like over the last couple of games, like the jazz were not scared to drive at him and Goga was not scared to get up there and try to block it. And I think he got one, maybe two. And just, he was just altering shots. It's like what we talk about with miles all the time. It's like, he may only have two blocks or three blocks or whatever, but the shots that he's altering and the presence that the opponent feels with him around the rim is significant and it matters. And I think that we're starting to see that with Goga on the floor as well. And uh, I, I tweeted out, I just love when Goga dunks, like, he just bounces off the floor and just slams the rim. And it's yeah. just it's just something that Miles doesn't do very well. He just kind of like drops the ball into the rim kind of nicely. And Goga just – he just slams it. I just – I love that from him. He's been playing so good, and I'm hoping that he can keep getting about 15 minutes a game. Hopefully not at the expense <laughs> of Miles, but uh, depends on obviously matchups and fouls and all that stuff. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the, the Goga Domas minutes were really rough today to watch. I <laughs> I was not enjoying those, but I did enjoy the uh, the Goga solo minutes with the bench unit, and they're the guys that kind of brought us back into it. I mean, Goga's just been really impactful, uh, and I think that kind of is a little foreshadowing of what the Pacers might look like if they went with just one big and play a little bit faster, not saying that, you know, we, we talk about it a lot. Like, Domas is obviously getting the push to be the all-star. The Pacers released probably the most cringeworthy uh, all-star promo video with Jeremiah Johnson uh, for Domas. I don't know if you guys saw that or not, but uh, it was uh, it was rather I did not, actually. Go on, their, go on the Pacers Twitter account. They actually uploaded it there, and it's actually – they played it a couple times today during the Fox Sports broadcast – uh, it's a, it's like this Domas, like, uh, like some kind of cleaner thing. Like they're all, they're going all in on the, on the campaign. Like it's almost as bad as Lance Stevenson's cold as ice video. Um, so yeah, it's, it's that level of cringe. So make sure you check that out if you haven't already, but, um, just to kind of wrap things up here real quick, you know, where is the light at the end of the tunnel for this team? I mean, we talked, you talked about it, Mark off air, maybe a little bit on here. Like the defense was really good today. They played pretty well against a team that's been really dominant so far this early in the season, even though they didn't get the win. And there was a lot of holes in the Pacers overall game today. But where do you think um, the, the light of the end of the tunnel is for this Pacers team uh, for their current uh, roster? I have a I have a nice rant for this. Um, I think here, here here's here, where I'm at just because, uh, you know, in, in trying to take in a lot of the thoughts and um, and musings of people, uh, I, I, I can – I've kind of deduced it a little bit to just, you know, you have to temper your expectations. Um, And I understand, you know, fans being uh, frustrated or upset that the team is 12 and 12, which in its own right, sounds a little bit ridiculous to say. Um, I said this at the beginning of the year, and that's not to hype myself up, but I I was coming in expecting this team like uh, to be, you know, a 500 team, uh, you know, headed towards trade deadline or, or middle of the season. Um, just because, you know, you have a completely new staff, uh, you're trying to reintegrate guys, it's going to be different. Um, we didn't know if Vic was going to be traded or not. We weren't, weren't really sure what was going to happen. I thought this season had a lot of opportunity for uh, kind of internal turmoil. Not that it was necessarily going to be bad, but um, the point of, of, of changing everything over was to be different than last year. And while I think, you know, that the team record was, of course, different at this time last year and the Pacers were – um, on paper, they, they were a better team. I think we've seen them do a lot more. I, I, obviously, there are things that we could we'd like we we talk about regularly about how we want to see change. But for the most part, this team has been doing things way differently than than, than we were accustomed to over the last couple of years. Um, so I think with Levert and and TJ Warren both out right now, and where the roster is currently. And like we've talked about with kind of juicing the starters minutes and that the chickens coming home to roost on that. Um, I don't think that, that it's right to be expecting this team to be competing for like a three or four seed. And I've, I've seen that thrown around that, um, you know, people were like, Oh, this was the year for the Pacers. And I just don't understand where you're coming from on that. And that's not to berate you, but I, I think this was, this was the year where instead they, the team chose instead of consistency, they wanted to shake things up, make things different. And as we saw with the Vic trade and getting Karis LeVert back, they want to build towards the future. Obviously they're going to win now. They're never going to not try and win now. Um, but they're, they're focused on what's going to happen over the next two or three years while they have this whole core together and building towards that. So I think given the state of the roster and all the injuries and everything that have happened, 
Um, I, I don't really know why people were expecting this team to be a three or four seed. I get that they started out eight and four. Things were looking really rosy and positive. Um, but you just got to take everything else into context and, and recognize, hey, it's okay that the team is 12 and 12 right now. We're seeing a lot of positive signs and growth. And I think this team is going to be better equipped for the playoffs uh, this year. And that might not end up being getting out of the first round, but maybe you win a couple games. Yeah. Um, and that's if, if that sounds like a, a losing mentality to you, then I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that's uh, that's just how it is, you know, um, not to be harsh, but yeah. it's it's a you can't just skip to going to the Eastern Conference finals. That's not how it works. Um, yeah. So it's going to be a slow process. But it's been a good process so far, and you just got to find the silver linings in it and not to sound like some complete homer or anything. But I think just the last thing I can say is there, there have been good signs, and you have to keep that in mind. And uh, just remember expectations are uh, sometimes a little bit lofty. Mm. Rhett? I could not agree more. I don't understand. Like, I think there's, there's two trains of thought. There's one that – we expected the new coach to unlock Turbonis and Brogdon playing at an all-star level and all that stuff. So we should be more than 500. And a lot of the games have been close enough to where we probably should be more than 500 uh, just by nature of being in so many games in the fourth quarter and uh, having it go one way or the other. But at the same time, you're missing your two best wing players. So like what, what are you expecting to happen when you're missing 40 points per game and you're like your best power forward, like wingy power forward defender. So I completely agree. It's, it's just expectation management, but I think at the same time, I'm still finding things in the game that we can improve on. And that should be a sign for optimism. When, when I harp on things that I, I want to see done better, um, it just means that the team can be better. Like, if they just tweak a couple different things that, that there's room for growth in a team that's 500 without two starters. So definitely, definitely some optimism and uh, even more optimism with the carousel being back with the team today. Uh, obviously he's not back to playing anytime soon, but it's just, uh, I'm sure it's great to see him around the team. Can, can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alex just sent me that tweet. Um, of the Pacers all-star <laughs> commercial for Domas and it is terrible. Okay, now I'm looking at it. <laughs> I love <laughs> Jeremiah. Jeremiah is great, but man, they set him up with that. That is a, it's like a Domas. sham. It's, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's like a sham wow commercial, but like somehow cornier. Um, oh, it's bad. It's bad. I love JJ, but yeah, it's bad. And, you know, and I was going to go back to that. Mark, I thought you brought up a great point earlier. Just so many fans' expectations. Like, I said this from the beginning of the year, like with the uncertainty of what they're going to do with Victor, the uncertainty of Turbonus, I just said, I'm not really looking at this year as, hey, this is the year like we're going to really see things. Like I was like 2021, 2022 is the year I really am excited for the Pacers just because that'll be one year under the new coach. You finally get your decision on Victor, which was made earlier this year. And you hopefully get your decision now or your answer on what they do with the Turbonus pairing and whatever they decide to do. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with whatever they do. I mean, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, it is what it is. I mean, it's not going to change anything how I feel. But I mean, I'm in a group chat with some guys and they're a little bit older than me. And, you know, they were kind of getting frustrated with, you know, all the like happy, positive stuff like the Pacers post, like, you know, after losing to the Pelicans, like almost had it or tough one, like vote Brogdon for all-star. Like, you know, they're just kind of going at it, basically just like, kind of frustrated with the, you know, the mentality of, Hey, we're, we're good, you know, vote for us, you know, that kind of thing. You know, they want to get back to that 
level of, you know, where the Pacers were kind of in the mix there for the Eastern Conference Finals back in the 90s and back in the uh, early 2010s. And I get all that, but with this roster and how everything's going right now and how talented the NBA is, especially the Eastern Conference, it's just, it's just, there's just not that window of opportunity right now. So my expectations are like, hey, let's just watch this team grow, develop, and see what they have. Because sometimes, like with so much roster movement, it, it can be kind of hard to see you know, or get attached to a team. You know, if you're constantly shipping out players and that kind of thing, it can be hard to get attached. So for me, it's like, I, I'm not overthinking anything. I'm not going to overreact to anything. We're missing two of our five starters that are our two wing players. Let's see what this team looks like when they're back and go from there. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That's that's a great way to look at it, Alex. You're always the optimist here. <laughs> I, well, that's not always true, but I, I try to be. I try to be uh, I try to be because there's no point to overreact. But anyway, guys, just just calm down. We got the Nets on Wednesday. It'll be a tough matchup. Probably no Kevin Durant, but you'll still have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and, and that team will prevent or, you know present problems. But they don't have a, a great you know front court, so maybe we can get some dominance there from the, our big guys and see what happens. But um, at yeah, the end of the- from, uh, for everything that that Domas just struggled with with Rudy Gobert um, and Stephen Adams, yeah, yeah, he's gonna give it to DeAndre Jordan <laughs> so he I don't know if you, do you guys remember last year he uh it should have been an offensive foul I'll be completely honest but he put his shoulder into DeAndre Jordan oh yeah him, like, Sent into the flying. station like it was yeah like Domas is, is okay I'm gonna get uh, we maybe we should cut off before I get flack but you know what I don't care I'll take the smoke uh as much as people complain about Domas not getting fouls he is lucky he doesn't get as many offensive fouls as he could man because yes. every time he lowers that shoulder it should be an offensive foul to be completely honest but um, yeah, I'm excited for him to, to, to kind of eviscerate the Brooklyn front court. Not kind of, it's going to be, I mean, DeAndre Jordan is just not, he's not that level of player anymore. No, you're absolutely right. DeAndre Jordan is not that same level of player that he once was and a uh, good night for Sabonis and Turner to get back on track and help the Pacers get back on a winning track. So, uh, still a tough matchup though, of course, with Harden and Kyrie there, like I said earlier, but anyway, guys, that's all we got for today's show. Make sure you check out Rhett, the Mayflower Bauer, on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer. Give him that Mayflower nickname because, of course, he came up with that. Sabonis, Lamb, uh, Holiday plus Picks trade for Bradley Beal idea. So just got to give him a little bit of a hard time there for shipping our guys out. And, of course, Mark Chandler does an awesome job covering the Indiana Pacers for the Indy Corner podcast and does some work for them as well. Make sure you check him out at M. Schindler NBA. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. Follow our podcast at Setting the Pace 3 on Twitter and over on Instagram at PacersDoc. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you all later. Peace out, Pacers Nation. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.